everyone, welcome to the Chensky Chronicles. I'm really excited to you know be talking with third person here on the call, Miles. Uh, Miles is actually a really good friend of mine that I met at my last company. Uh, I feel like we instantly hit it off like on our first or second hangout. I was like, man, this guy just like thinks on the same wavelength at me as me. And at the same time, he's just so ambitious. And I think the reason why I wanted to bring on Miles for my third podcast was the second podcast with James, he mentioned at the very end, this whole idea of you are an average of the people that you surround yourself with. And I feel like there's a certain number of people that I, I really strive to sp want to spend more time with. And those are the people that are very open-minded, but also very ambitious with the goals that they're trying to achieve in their life. And I couldn't think of anyone better than Miles. Um, unfortunately, he isn't here in San Francisco with me anymore. He's you know now moved to Seattle, but very, very happy with for him. Uh, so yeah, Miles, I uh, just want to see if you're able to hear us and um, love to get a quick intro to you as well. Yeah, you're coming in loud and clear, Ryan. Uh, I really appreciate that intro. Uh, I wish that we were still here together because uh, you gassed me up really hard. <laughs> you need to be my hype man. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Miles Chong. Uh, I am 27 years old, just recently moved to Seattle. Um, I work as an account manager at Amazon Web Services. So moved here for work um, and also wanted to get away from the Bay since, you know, my whole life has pretty much been in the Bay Area. Um, I was born in the Philippines, but was raised in California. And so for me, getting out to Seattle is just a new chapter, finally spreading my wings and experiencing uh, living on my own. And so learning a lot about myself as well. Yeah, no, that's absolutely amazing. And I think on that last point, you know, learning more about yourself. And I think when I think about you, Miles, there's a couple of things besides ambition, open-mindedness. I think the aspect when we used to work together, I always remembered you had a very optimistic mindset about a lot of things. Like the deck can always be stacked against us, but you always, you know, are able to find that light at the end of the tunnel. And what I love to kind of learn about in the very beginning stages is if you could kind of go back, I know you had that interesting background of growing up in the Philippines and then moving over to California. Um, where do you think some of this uh, is coming from though, this optimistic mindset, if you can kind of delve back into your upbringing? That's a very loaded question. So let me kind of <laughs> unpack that in the way that that's really molded my identity because I think that has so many facets to it. Uh, I think the first part, to your point about coming from the Philippines, when my parents and I came here, I was a one-year-old baby. So I didn't really have much say in it, <laughs> to be honest with you. It was something that my parents saw as a way to open up opportunity for me and the family that they wanted to continue to grow. And they knew that the best way that I could be set up for success would be to get a good education. And not saying that you can't find that in the Philippines, but the path there is just that much harder. And so I think them coming here really made me realize that I didn't want to screw things up. Um, I, I think I had a duty to my parents to do well and succeed. And so whenever I got pushed down, I kept getting back up. I never really saw no as an answer because I think that there's always a way to achieve whatever, whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, so for example, uh, I was uh, in the third grade and I memorized all my arithmetic tables, um, m multiplication, division, addition, whatever it was. And my teacher realized that I actually had uh, a mind that was uh, ready for the fifth grade. So they accelerated me right away. Um, and so I, I bring that up because I think even at a, a third grade level, I just had this like knack for wanting to learn more and do more and be more. And I think that's carried me on to uh, the way that I just hold myself up to this day. Um, and so culturally, I think my parents had a lot to do with that. Um, coming from uh, a Filipino household that valued education, I had no choice but to really double down on my, um, my upbringing for, and, and my values for education. Um, and I think that in itself is part of my identity, but I think go, unpacking your question even further about why I ha carry such optimism, 
Um, I think a lot of that just has to do with the people I've surrounded myself with. You kind of brought this up in the intro with the conversation you had with James, but for me, I agree. I think you are a product of the people that you surround yourself with. And I've always been surrounded by great people from peers to mentors. And I make it a point to seek those people out. Um, I don't think that my relationships just happen because of fate. Of course, there's, there's always a little bit of that, but I think when I recognize that there's somebody that's smarter than me in the room or funnier than me or has something that I really value, a quality that I think can help me be a better person, then I try to make it my point to, to make them my friend. Um, you know, Ryan, you were uh, great at trip actions when we worked together in terms of buckling down and being very serious with your sales craft. Um, like you really took things to the next level and your numbers reflected that. And so uh, I think part of me wanted to be closer to you because by surrounding myself with people who could uplift me by being themselves, period, that makes me a better person. So I've always done that with people who can make me see the world differently and challenge me in the way that I think about the world. Um, and I think that is one of the reasons why I continue to hold that optimistic value uh, in every step of my life. Yeah, that's actually a really amazing insight. And I think the part that caught on to me was the aspect of how in third grade, you were thought about getting accelerated to fifth grade because of your teacher. I actually had the complete opposite experience for me back in third grade. I almost failed out of third grade. They, they thought they were going to hold me back. I remember seeing the faces of my mom and my dad going to the principal's office, hearing their Asian kid getting set back one year. They thought like there was something wrong with their kid. I can't remember my mom's. It was just like, man, she was so shocked. She was like, man, where did I mess up in life? <laughs> so I had the complete opposite experience for you, from you. But at the same way, we kind of ended up at you know, the same place in our life in different ways. Um, and I think the aspect you talked about is also from an early age, surrounding yourself with people that you found were going to push you to that next level. I, I'm kind of curious, like, have you ever had the situation where you might have connected with people that might not have done that? They might have kind of brought you down. Like, has that ever happened? Like you got a wrong read on someone. Absolutely. I had a rebellious phase in high school. <laughs> and, um, you're talking about how you disappointed your Asian parents. Well, I was suspended from high school for a week after I was caught stealing. Um, and it was in the middle of school of high school during off campus lunch. And so I went to a, a Safeway and I was with my friends at the time and ended up stealing uh, some chicken there for lunch. And we got caught on camera and I got suspended. I was not allowed to go on the class field trip to the Monterey Bay Aquarium that I was looking forward to. Uh, this was Man. like AP bio. That was the field trip of the year and I was unable to go. And I just remember I was actually at fencing practice when I got the call from the principal saying, hey, you're in big trouble. You're going to be suspended. You need to return to the principal's office when you go into school tomorrow. And I just remember walking out of practice and then calling my mom to let her know that I was going to be suspended. And there's this thing that, that Asian parents do where they don't yell at you or express any like negative, angry emotions. It's just a stoic, I'm disappointed in you that <laughs> guttural-y eats at you and so that knife to my heart definitely twisted a couple times when she said that to me it was just deep breath I'm disappointed Miles and I knew that's when I messed up so <laughs> yeah I mean I, I I don't like talking negatively about people that served some importance in my life again I might be overly optimistic but I do think I learned from those people that brought me down in a way and I think at the same time I've done that for some of those people because there are some of those friends that I have connected with in my adult years and they're much better people. Um, and so, you know, it's not to say that we can't all learn from those negative experiences, but I, I did surround myself with uh, some risky choicey people back in my high school years. Um, and I think that's because I wanted to, you know, fit in. I didn't want to be that nerd anymore. I think I was always viewed as that nerd that always focused too hard in school. And so for me, that's when I wanted to try to be that cool kid and surround myself with people that, you know, did some uh, 
less than PC things. We'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea about the chicken story though. Um, I've definitely had a, a few of my friends that definitely did some interesting things in high school, but I mean, I think everyone does change. We're all young at one stage in our life. Um, but I think there's another very interesting aspect that you bring up too. Um, you kind of talk about this pivot of being that, you know, shy, nerdy person and then trying to reinvent yourself. I feel like I'm still going through that challenge today. I think inside I'm, I'm relatively derpy. And a lot of the times when I try to present myself, I kind of fumble. I don't come across as confident as I'd like to think I am. And I think inside I'm still that inner nerd with video games and all the other things. Um, and I guess for you, I'm kind of curious, like, because you come across as someone that I would say is not just very extroverted, but just seems so confident in yourself, right? And I feel like you're very eloquent at the same time. I'm just kind of curious to hear, like, a little bit more about that story where you made that transition of like, you no longer want to be that shy person. And like, why make that transition? And like, why do you think you might've been more shy in the first place? Man, maybe I'm just acting really well because I don't feel that way. <laughs> um, I, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I, yeah, I, I struggle with that as well, but I think that confidence comes from doubling down on who I know I am. Um, I don't pretend to be someone I'm not. And by really being a nerd that loves sports, that loves hanging out with family and friends, that, uh, you know, I'll play StarCraft 2 a lot, like we've talked about, um, you know, that to me, just embracing my identity and really doubling down on that, I think is the reason why I don't care what other people think about me. I understand that I'm not everyone's cup of tea and that's fine, but you know, I don't live my life thinking that I need to do this for other people. So that acceptance of myself and my own identity is what makes me feel confident just being me. Um, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but I think that's been my mindset. And I don't know if I can point to a singular event and say, hey, that was the one thing in my life that did that for me. I mean, it's a culmination of so many things, again, so many mentors that I've surrounded myself with. And maybe that's the thing that I can point to is that I've had a lot of strong people give me confidence. And that in turn allows me to pay it forward and help other people find their confidence. So I've been a mentor myself to people who, uh, for example, are in, in high school that um, are in Oakland that don't get to go to college, let alone graduate from high school. Um, and so I've helped kids like that graduate and actually go to their dream schools. And so that for me is important because I get my confidence from mentors as well. So again, I don't think it's a singular thing as much as it is, a, it takes a tribe or a village to, to build it, right? And so I am a, a product of the people that I've surrounded myself with for sure. Yeah, I could definitely agree with the same aspect. I think for myself, it was definitely like having my dad, you know, lead a lot more of the entrepreneurial spirit that I have inside my heart and also create this whole idea of like, you've never reached your full potential. Like you can always keep going at it. Um, and I guess if you look at your parents, right? Like you mentioned how you owe them a lot. The fact that like they brought you over here from the Philippines and created these new opportunities. Um, I guess, how else would you say your parents have been a part of that tribe to curate the miles that we know here today? It's interesting. I think my parents and their personalities and their skill sets are so different. And they would say the same thing. My brother would say the same thing. My dad is this kooky, nerdy, technical guy. Uh, he's a CTO of his company and super smart. Always helped me out with any school projects that I had because he's very much a left-brained person versus my mom, who is very much a right brain person. She's very creative, spunky. She was the captain of her softball and volleyball team, despite being four, nine. Shout out to all my short people out there. <laughs> and uh, she plays guitar and drums, um, percussionist at our, our local church. And so I think I have been influenced by my parents, by their own personalities and hobbies and skill sets. Uh, because they're so different. And that's probably the best way to describe me. I'm just different. I'm kind of kooky and nerdy and kind of sporty and very short. So thanks, mom. Um, <laughs> and so uh, they've got a lot of influence in the way that I live my life because uh, I've gotten such a diverse 
set of experiences growing up. I was, uh, uh, I was talking about how in third grade I, I skipped. Um, I ended up getting into competitive chess at that time. I remember competing and um, winning. I have some trophies back home from competitive chess. And that was really my dad showing me how to, you know, think about the game of chess which then influenced me to get into fencing because fencing is very much physical chess. It's about knowing what your opponent's going to do before they do it themselves and reacting to that. While my mom, I guess going to the fencing piece, taught me how to throw a Frisbee, how to, uh, you know, skip a rock. Uh, everything physical that I can do is probably because of her. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's the way that they've influenced my own, like external hobbies and extracurriculars and things like that. Yeah. And as you were kind of explaining your parents and the dichotomy that they have and sort of the, the, the strengths that they bring to the table, right. It reminds me of even Justin's parents, right? Like I think his dad was the one that was a little bit more like, business oriented, like had things like kind of like a stable career, but his mom was like a dropout, like college person that went into art. Um, kind of like your parents, you know, your dad's like the kooky CTO, but then your mom's like really athletic. Um, and it kind of reminds me of like my own parents too. And I don't know if this is like common that parents are usually having this dichotomy or do most people have parents that are the same. Like my dad is the more entrepreneurial, like independent, free spirited person. My mom was, you know, more to the books, like very much like Asian tiger mom. But I think the interesting thing about that, like you mentioned, is having these diverse experiences because it helps you be a more well-rounded person. Like you're not just like one definition of like just being really straight edge or someone that's like just way too free spirited. It's like it helps you kind of curate the best of both worlds. Um, and I'm kind of curious, like if you look at your friend group and the people you surround yourself with, like, is that actually a common occurrence where like people have these diverse parents or is it just like, it just so happens to be like you, me and Justin so far? That's a very deep question. Um, that requires me to know my <laughs> parents like that. Um, I can only speak for a handful of friends where I think that is true. Um, I can suspect that it comes from a more traditional sense of uh, a patriarchy that the male needs to bring home the bread, you know, um, mm -hmm. so maybe that's why, uh, you know, from that generation, parents are kind of split into the di dichotomy. I have no idea, to be honest with you. Um, I don't, I, I don't think that's true for all of my friends. Um, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but I, I, I yeah, again, I don't want to speak for, for parents that <laughs> I, I don't know personally like that. Yeah, no worries. It was honestly just like a question out of left field because I was just trying to think about like so far the conversations I've had. I was like, wait, there are some similarities that we all kind of have from a fundamental level. And I was just kind of curious if that's kind of dictated the people that I end up surrounding myself with because they end up being people that are very open-minded yet very diverse in their skill sets. And I feel like those are the people I gravitate towards. So I was just wondering if there's any sort of random correlation there. But I guess the part that I'm I'm also very interested in is you mentioned like starting off to be a little bit more shy, you know, the dorky side of you is kind of how you were in your early childhood. Why might that be the case? I think naturally I like feeding off of other people's energy before putting my own energy out there. I want to see how other people set the tone before I really get out there. Um, I think that shifted though, when I skipped a grade. Um, so I, I actually don't think this, uh, has been, I made that shift very young. Um, you know, as a, as a kid, I definitely was more reserved, but I think when I skipped the grade, what happened was, and I remember this very specifically, when I told my third grade friends that I was skipping, uh, it was in the cafeteria, it was lunchtime. And I was like, hey, by the way, we're not gonna be in the same class anymore. Um, you know, next year I'm gonna be in the fifth grade. Um, and they like literally shunned me. They were like, all right, well, then you can't sit with us. Like literally mean girls, you can't sit with us situation <laughs> in the cafeteria where they said, well, yeah, we, we don't want you here. Like if you're not getting the same grade, then, you know, you can go sit with your fifth grade friends. Of course, I didn't have any fifth grade friends. So that actually forced me to make fifth grade friends very fast. And I'm not gonna lie, I think I've carried that same 
pettiness <laughs> with me <laughs> all my life. And it's really transformed the way that I was able to make and hold relationships because a lot of the times I find myself never really solidifying in a singular friend group. Um, I, I make a friend and they're my friend for life. I can see you 10 years down the road and nothing will ever change. I have plenty of friends like that, but I've never been loyal to a friend group only because I think it still hits me to this day where, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't have that loyalty growing up. So for me, I've, I've never had problems making new friends. I think my problem has been keeping them, um, mm. if, if that makes sense. Um, but again, you know, if I, uh, you know, shoot you a text or shoot me a text out of the blue, it's like nothing will ever change. So that, that's kind of been my mindset. I don't know if that answered your question at all. Your question was around shyness. And so I think relating it back to shyness, it really is uh, a defense mechanism, I guess, for me to just always meet new people in a way, because in my mind, I'm going to make a friend right here, right now. We're going to make a connection. And if I don't see you ever again, then, you know, whatever. Uh, so what, what's the point of being shy? Like, if I don't see you again, then there is no point in me holding back who I actually am. Like, let me show you who I really am. Because if you do like me and I like you, then we're genuine with each other. We actually connect on that level and we're not being fake. So that's been my mindset. I'm not shy because I don't like fake people. I don't want to be around fake people. So I'm never going to show a fake side of me. I'll always be real with people no matter how abrasive that might come off sometimes because I'm de I, I, that definitely happens. <laughs> that's interesting because I feel like that's something that I still try to ingrain in my mindset though is this whole idea of like, if you want to be fake with someone, you can only do that for so long. And it almost takes like, it takes more energy to do that than to just almost like write them off or to just be real in the very beginning stages. It's like a balance of like, there's actually more effort for being fake. But at the same time, I think it's the fear of like rejection or like you want acceptance and validation that kind of prevents, at least for myself to get to that next stage. Um, and it's really interesting how you mentioned like how you try to read the room first. It kind of reminds me of like the whole chess analogy, kind of seeing like what your opponents do, you kind of get a good feel and then you make your calculated move from there. Um, but simultaneously, it's also some of these pivots you've started to mention throughout this whole conversation. You know, the pivot from uh, not just moving from San Francisco to Seattle, but also the pivot of third to fifth grade and having to sort of reinvent yourself and, you know, break out of your shadow group and to kind of meet some of these older people just because you had to. And I guess the other interesting aspect is as you look at all these pivots, has there been one that has stood out to you a little bit more so throughout your life that's kind of impacted you besides some of the ones that we've talked about today? It's a very interesting question. Um, yeah, I, I, maybe this is because it's pressure and I don't know how deeply I want to go into this conversation, but I think if the point of this podcast is to really get to know each other better and to let people know that every experience counts, then I'm, I'm definitely open to talking about it. Um, but as you know, Ryan, I, I went through a major breakup last year. Um, and so that was a seven year relationship for me. And a lot of my life choices were built on thinking long-term into the future with this person. And when she and I broke up, I had to really reevaluate what I cared about. Um, it was my decision to break up, and I think I started seeing a shift in what I wanted out of life, um, and that, for me, at least in my most recent history, is the single most impactful event in my life that I can point to and say, yeah, that's a pivot that I made that, in a way, allowed me to be free. It kind of uh, allowed me to focus on me. And that was important for my own personal growth. I don't like to, to say that I felt trapped or anything like that. Like, I, 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 I wouldn't say that maybe to a degree, yes. Like, it was a very healthy relationship and, and all things considered. So I absolutely don't want to talk trash here. But for me, if I really thought about my own personal goals, it started to include less of her and more of 
myself. <laughs> so I wanted to be selfish in a while uh, for, for the first time in a long time. And I had to really think about what I prioritized in my life. And that included my career that included the social settings that I put myself in. I, I, I've never been to so many music festivals since after the breakup, which I wanted to explore that scene. I never <laughs> had that because we were never music festival people. And I have been to a bunch more ever since. And I have a blast every time I go to a music festival and I can't believe I'm a late bloomer, but you know, that's kind of what, what it is. And I think, again, those are kind of smaller superficial things. Well, I guess the career thing isn't, but um, I point to some of those things as a, a way of just saying that I realized that as we grew up, we grew apart. We, we grew to have different values. And so I am not the same person that I was in, in college. And I would challenge anybody that feels like they are the same person as they were in college. And if not, get your mind right, because you have some serious growing to do. But like, that's where I'm at. I, I wanted to really find out what the world could offer me as well as what I could offer to the world. And I couldn't do that being restricted to the confines of a relationship. So yeah, that's probably like the single biggest pivot in my life. Man, my heart sank a little bit there, Miles, because just like you opening up, I know it's never something easy to talk about. Um, and I don't think this podcast is even that big. So like, but even regardless of the point being is like, I was like, man, like, I like kind of like took a second to like, just like, I just like froze for a second. So I really, really do appreciate you just being like open-minded. And, and I think that's something else that I like really appreciate about you is like, you're vulnerable. And I think those are the people that hold very close to me. It's like, like why hold everything inside? Like these are all things that we can learn from and it is only helpful to talk about it. If you hold everything inside, it becomes like a balloon. You can only blow so much air in that. And eventually it reaches a tipping point where it's going to blow up and that's just going to be catastrophic. So it's better to let it out little by little. And I think it's, it's very powerful that you're able to do that. Um, and as I was kind of thinking about that too, it goes back to the whole idea of like who you surround yourself with, but also like you might surround yourself with people that we consider like bad or good influences. But I think regardless, if they're mentors, good or bad, it's ultimately like how you want to perceive it. Right. And I think that's kind of where the whole idea of like your optimism shines in is you really make the most out of that, that situation. Like you shift your whole perspective. And I think you have that growth mindset that I do really respect. And you realize like, okay, you know, I, during that last relationship, I wasn't able to really prioritize myself and kind of realize some of the unput, like things that I wanted to kind of delve deeper into. And I feel like that's what our twenties are for. And I think that's what resonated with me when I was also talking to my first podcast member, Justin, he mentioned like twenties are for figuring out things. Forties are for like calculating and executing and whatnot. And I think a lot of the times, and I'm so guilty of this too. I don't know why, but I feel like there's this rush to get our shit figured out. Like quick right now it's like if you don't have your shit figured out at 25 like something's wrong with you but i don't know i don't know do you feel like that too like do you feel like there's this like pressure that we now have in this generation where it's like you got to figure your shit out faster than later or is that just like a me thing it's definitely not just a you thing i feel that sometimes but i will say that i think things are amplified because of social media i think justin mentioned that in the podcast as well that the access to everybody else's lives makes us compare our lives to mind you the good parts that people put on their social media nobody ever posts the vulnerable shitty stuff i mean yes that happens every now and then but i do think that we're really comparing ourselves to a rosy glorified view of whatever people want to be portrayed as i'm guilty of that i'm not gonna lie i do that a lot and i and part of the toxicity that goes into that. So yeah, it's a system that sadly we're, we're all a part of. And I think that is why people are so driven and or poisoned to compare themselves to, uh, to other people. Um, I, I do think that it really is up to an individual's mindset on how they interpret that though. They can either say, I'm going to be a better version of myself because 
I want this like intrinsically, or if people are doing it only for the face value to look cool, then that's where, you know, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to put a hundred percent into this to be the best, you know, person that I can be in my occupation or in my social life or in whatever it is that I, I can be. But if you're doing it for other people's approval, then you're trying to get to a finish line that will always be in front of you. It, it's never going to be attainable. And so I think it has to come from within that intrinsic motivation is always going to be key. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. What, I'm sorry. What was the question? No. I kind of went on a rant there. No, I guess the, the question was, is it just me that feels like there's this pressure that we need to figure out shit faster than we, we should, like by your twenties and thirties, like you got to have life figured out. Cause in a way, college already gears us to be kind of like that mindset, right? Like you can try out different majors, but hopefully when you graduate, you should follow through with the major that you have. But I guess more people are making it, I think it just becomes more obvious that I've met so many people that majored in something completely different in college and do a completely different life profession. So I think it's good that our generation is starting to create those differences that we can experiment. And that's something that we should, uh, I guess, emphasize more so. But I think I was also getting sidetracked. I was just like thinking like the, all the toxic stuff that comes from social media. Like, I think that's what reminds me, like when I'm in these podcasts, it's like therapeutic in its own way, like connecting with people and like hearing their stories. It's like a different level of like a feeling and sensation. I don't know, like fulfillment that I get from this. And hopefully the person on the other line feels the same exact way too. And I think that that goes back to like the whole premise of like why I wanted to do this is I feel like there needs to be more of this like vulnerability and transparency that doesn't exist in the world today. Cause it's all about like edits, cuts, like YouTube's like that, Instagram's like that. Um, you don't know what you can believe in. There's less of things like this. And that's why, like, even on my own free time, I like podcasts. And I don't know if that's, I guess you're also someone that really loves podcasts too, Miles, like Guy Raz and stuff like that. I guess for you, like, why is it that podcasts really like resonate with you? I think it's the same thing that you're talking about. There's an authenticity to it that I don't get from viewing other people's pictures that are edited. And, you know, I can post 10 things on an Instagram feed uh, in one go. And these are the 10 best or most impactful photos that I can put in one post that I think is going to really show like the best versions of me. But I think I love podcasts because it's not about choosing 10 things. It's not about 10 topics that we need to cover. There's no, yes, we have a guideline of things that we want to talk about, but there's no structure behind it. It's not a uh, uh, a set thing. It's a conversation that happens and it removes the social media aspect of things because it, it's not social for the sake of getting likes or clicks or retweets or things like that. It's really purely for the conversation. It's about the dialogue. It's about peeling back the layers of whatever the topic might be. Like I personally love crime podcasts, like true crime podcasts. <laughs> love that. Uh, shout out Crime Junkie, like those 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 girls over there at uh, the Crime Junkie podcast know how to tell a story. And I love that. Mm. That's what podcasts are supposed to be about. It's supposed to be telling a story. And you can do that way more impactful through a podcast than you can by, you know, again, posting 10 pictures on an Instagram feed. So that's my thing about why I love podcasts. It's just real, real conversations, real people about topics that I get to choose that I have control over. I get to say, hey, I love true crime. I'm going to go seek out true crime. It's not, oh, well, all of a sudden I got an ad for, uh, I don't know, what did I see? Well, I, on Instagram, I've been seeing a lot of plant ads because I've been searching about a lot of plants. So I don't mind those as much, but sometimes I see some weird stuff on Instagram that I'm like, why am I seeing this right now? You know, be it an ad or be it from a personal friend or, or whatnot. But um, that's, that's why I love podcasts. They're just very much something that I get to choose the topic and I get to listen to two people talk authentically about it or more, I feel more, like, more people really. <laughs> uh, you can thank Jeff, uh, Jeff Bezos and uh, Bill Gates for everything that's getting recommended to you, man. Everything's being heard. But at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. I think you summarized it really well in terms of like why I also love podcasts. It's like 
I think it's the aspect of storytelling. And as, as you were talking about all this, I was also reflecting back to like everyone I've spoken with so far, even though it's only been three people. And not everyone is a salesperson like you and I. I think people have this natural gift of storytelling that's been passed on for so many years. And I think people forget that that's an art form that you have inside of you. And it's so captivating, like regardless of what you do, career, like how much money, it, none of that even matters. Like a story itself is so powerful. And the way that people narrate it, it's just like, I don't know, I, I couldn't help myself, but like just wanting to like listen in and like want to suck it, soak in every detail, but you can't. But I just wanted to say, like, I think everyone has that power of storytelling that, I don't know, I just like kind of realized that as we were kind of talking. It's true, though. I think everybody has the ability to tell a story about their story. I think that some people master that craft because it is a craft more so than others. But I do think that it's something that can be learned. It's not just something innate. I think about a lot of movies, for example. Disney built an empire on this, right? their ability to make people laugh and cry and be angry and sad and feel all the roller coasters of emotions in one movie is the reason why everyone is so attached to a Disney film. I'm sure that you could name the top two, three films that you love in terms of Disney movies if you wanted to. And they probably each have a very specific place in your heart because they make you feel emotions that uh, make you realize the story of your own life you know it's relatable and so yes i agree with you in terms of the ability to tell stories is something that people master over time and we do that by reflecting on our own experiences as well i couldn't agree anymore and it's it's a skill set that needs to constantly be built upon and i think that's also why i wanted to do this podcast is to try to improve like the questions i can ask and to elicit my own stories and get people to also share their stories. It's this whole like, yeah, there's so many aspects of what I was hoping to get out of a podcast like this. And I know like I had this whole, it goes back to the whole idea that you talked about, right? Like you can come into a podcast, you can have like maybe a general idea of what you want to do, but the conversation itself dictates its own course. And I definitely had like a, a rough game plan of like how I wanted this call to go or like the topics I wanted to cover, but to be quite honest, I don't think we're getting anywhere close to it. And that's perfectly fine. Like that's, that's what life's all about. It's not like the structured blueprint that you follow every single day. But I think the one, the, one of the last questions I, I kind of want also to get your opinion on is everyone kind of goes through like their different set of challenges. And you've definitely gone through your own fair share from the third to fifth grade migration, moving to San Francisco to Seattle, dealing with such a hard heartbreak, but finding so much growth through that, through music festivals, prioritizing yourself. Um, but what would you say is one of the new challenges that's, that's been lingering on your mind as you've now made the move over to Seattle? I think the challenge that I have, which speak of optimism, but I also see as the <laughs> opportunity is uh, living by myself for the very first time in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of fires that have really diminish the air quality here in Seattle. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a weird time to live alone. Thankfully I have my, my puppy with me. And so we keep each other company. Um, and yeah, it's just odd to be by myself during this time because I've always lived with other people. And I think that one of the scariest things or things that I was most fearful of was not being able to connect with other people, not being able to go make friends. I mean, I can't just, you know, go out to a bar and say, what's up to people. I can't just go sign up for a, a basketball club or a, a volleyball club or things that I like doing. And, you know, that's just not something that's happening right now. So I think the biggest challenge is probably socially more than anything. So there's that, but honestly, it's also allowed me to focus on, Again, myself, I, I get to, uh, I, I've been eating really well for the first time. I cook pretty much every day. I think I've only eaten out like three or four times since I've been here, um, which was like, I got here like a month ago, um, which is great can, coming from San Francisco where I used to eat out all the time. And so I, I think I've been focusing on, on myself, but I've also made very deep connections with friends at work. Um, I've probably got like a, a very close 
circle of, you know, uh, six people or, or, you know, give or take some there, uh, not, not take some shout out if you guys are listening, I love you guys, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I think, I think being in a new place in the same situation as other people at AWS, where we all, well, not all moved here, but some of us moved here for work and are kind of in similar situations where they're living with their significant others or their partners. And so, um, I think we're all just trying to find a friend and I found a lot of great people at work. So I found my own social life through that. And again, that's not like a, a big challenge. Like if, if I can actually be <laughs> really honest with you, I'm, I'm very happy um, for what I was looking for here. And I'd like to say that I had no expectations, but I did of course. And I think my experience so far has exceeded my expectations because the fears that I did have of living alone and not being able to meet people are not something that I'm fearful now of because of uh, the connections that I've made through work as well. So that to say that that's a challenge, but it's, it's such a small blip in the radar that it doesn't really make a, a dent into the way that I, I view my move to Seattle. Yeah. And I was just thinking about all that too, right? Like the ability, the ability to overcome when your plans get derailed. Cause when you first moved to Seattle, you didn't expect COVID and everything like this to be happening at full scale and not to be able to socially meet other people in a brand new city. But it wasn't something that like you said right now, like life is really good, but it doesn't mean that this was something that happened overnight. Cause I think there's this, oh, hopefully I'm understanding the whole situation, right? I think there's a foundational source that you built from day one. If you think all the way back to that third to fifth grade transition, right? you were put in the situation where you were going to get moved up to the fifth grade and you had to move yourself out of your comfort zone to create a new environment of meeting new people and creating a whole new social network. Like you took life by the reins and you controlled it. And I think having done that at such a young age, it's made these adversities, even where you're going through now seem like a blip in the radar, right? Because you've already had to overcome this so early on. So like, this wasn't that big of a deal. And I think that's kind of where it goes back to like a lot of these foundational things that like when people kind of have this really good perspective on life, it didn't come easy. And like, it took time to develop. And it might seem like, wow, they just were able to blow, blow it off their shoulder. But in reality, it wasn't that simple. Um, I think what I would say to that though, is I actually know the moment where I flipped the script and the perspective it actually wasn't something that I experienced. And so it's, uh, it's a lesson that I learned from my fencing coach. So we were talking about mentors earlier. And my fencing coach, I think, uh, so her name's Sophie. And so Sophie was, uh, at the time, I, I fenced from seventh grade to my sophomore, sophomore year of college. And Sophie was the most resilient old Asian lady that I've ever met in my life. <laughs> she <laughs> was like 60 when we first met. And she first started coaching me. And I remember I was in high school when Sophie's husband passed away um, at the age of like 65, give or take some years. And when uh, that happened a couple months later, she actually suffered from a stroke. It paralyzed her from the neck down. And a lot of us at the fencing club were really broken for her. But when we visited her in the hospital, she said, next time that you guys come, I want you to bring three things. I want you to bring a tennis ball, a piece of rope, and my foil, which was her practice blade. And so we did, we brought that. And the next time she told us to tie the tennis ball from the ceiling with the rope and to give her her foil. And every single day, Sophie would try to hit that ball. She would try to twitch her hand till she was eventually able to twitch it. She was eventually able to move her entire arm, then her body. She could walk. And now she's coaching again. She's like seven years old and still fucking badass. I don't know if I can say that on here, but I just doesn't did. matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the thing is like I learned resiliency and grit and determination and what it's like to always get back up because if she could get back from her partner's death and a paralyzing stroke, then there's nothing in life that can bring me down to that point. You know, like what's stopping me from continuously being the best version of myself when she never let that stop her. So 
that's my thing. Again, going back to surrounding myself with great mentors, I think that is one thing that I'll always take with me. And that's not experience that I'll ever have. I mean, not, I don't want to say ever, but that, that I've lived myself to this point, but it is something that I learned from. And I think that is something that I'll, I'll always take and, and really consider when life gets tough on me because that uh, Sophie is just an incredible person. And I'm, I'm very glad to have had her in my life as a mentor. That's amazing. It makes me, I mean, everyone's life circumstances are different, but I don't know if I have like that many groups of like mentors. I feel like a lot of the learning has come from myself and I feel like inspiration points like that really helps you showcase so much more to the world. That's, that's beyond what you can ever figure out. You're on your own. And it's really inspirational to hear that you had someone like Sophie in your life and how much of an impact it's had on you. And that actually leads me to kind of the last remaining questions. I think the question I've asked everyone is if you could write down two, two or three things on a piece of paper before you die, I'm guessing one of them, if I'm going on a limb here is surround yourself with really good people is maybe one of them. So what would be the other one or the other two that you have for us, Miles? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it's surrounding yourself with people who are going to make you better. That's definitely one. So I think bringing that up a level just to tie that topic together, I would say find good mentors, um, you know, not just peers, but specifically mentors, people who have accomplished things in their life that you value. Um, it's kind of like the social media piece where we're always comparing ourselves to other people, but on a personal connection, um, people who you really respect and appreciate because you value the things that they value and have achieved in their lives and learn from them. Take, pick their brain. I think one thing that people are so bashful to do these days is ask for help, ask for guidance. When in reality, when we're asked for help, when people ask me for help, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel wanted. It makes me feel like I can contribute something. And so why am I afraid to ask other people for help? I want other people to also feel wanted. I want other people to feel like they can contribute to my life. And so don't feel bashful when you want to ask for help because people want to give you help. Um, I think my second thing that I'd write on a piece of paper in terms of like values before I die is see the world, travel. I know everybody has uh, their own means of what they can afford to do and what they can see when they travel. But when I say travel, it doesn't have to be something luxurious or lavish. It really can just be going to, uh, I don't know, a, a different state, go on a road trip, go rent an RV and, you know, go find yourself in the middle of Montana on a lake if you want to, or yeah, it could be la la lavish if you want it to be. I don't, I don't know what that looks like <laughs> for, for you, but I think that what I'm trying to get at is that by traveling and experiencing other cultures, you also get to open up your own mind. I think getting perspective on the way other people live their lives is so key. It helps me personally not be so siloed in my way of thinking when I understand what other people do in order to make a living or get by, or in a lot of cases, even survive. I remember the first time I ever went back to the Philippines, I had I was an eight-year-old kid and I got out of the airport. My auntie picked us up. And when I say auntie, you probably understand this, Ryan, that Asian people always call auntie or uncle, like people that aren't necessarily related to them, but like, you know, they, they're close enough because they're like your parents' homies or whatever. And so they're like, oh, this is your auntie. And so, yeah, that was the situation there where my auntie picked me up in the airport. Um, and so me, my mom, my dad, my brother were all in the car and, I remember we're kind of stuck in traffic. Manila is horrendous when it comes to traffic. And there was this little girl, probably my age. Again, I was eight years old. She knocks on the window of my van and she's holding out flowers and candy and all these goodies. And I remember I turned to my mom and I was like, they're so nice here. They're welcoming us with gifts. Um, they are trying to, you know, really make this feel like home. Like, is this what you guys left? And I remember my mom looking at me and she said, no, she's not giving us gifts. She's trying to survive. She's a homeless kid. And I was dead silent the rest of that trip. I, 
I cried to myself. I was <laughs> yeah, like, I talk a lot, but I just remember it felt like a movie where you could see like one character living their life and the other character living their other life. And literally the only difference between them were life choices and the way who the family they were born to, you know, like you can't control that thing. And that was how I felt in that moment. So travel, I understand people go through experiences that you don't go through and open up your mind because of it. I think that's so key to the way that we connect as human beings. It's again, not just the best parts of ourselves through social media, but I think we need to understand how other cultures also develop and um, survive at the end of the day. Um, and I think my last bit of unsolicited, I guess this is kind of solicited wisdom <laughs> is <laughs> um, get an education. And when I say that, I actually don't mean in a traditional sense. We were talking about college and how that was a big part of my own identity was going to college. That was something that my folks made abundantly clear wasn't even a choice. It was something that I was going to do. And I've even helped kids get to college. And I realized college is not the only path to success. It's not the only way that people can achieve their dreams these days. There are so many avenues in order to learn and be curious about a craft that actually matters to a person without getting into $40,000 in debt per year. You know, I mean, I went to a, a, a UC school, so 40,000 might be a lot or a little compared to where other people went to, but like, you know, that's kind of where I'm going is you don't need to be in debt in order to, to do the thing that you want to do. I think you said something key earlier, Ryan, about how a lot of people that you know went to college for things that they don't even do for a career. That's me. I studied psychology. Yes, there are some things that psychology relates to when it comes to sales, but it wasn't my primary goal to be in sales following a psychology degree. If I knew that, I might have tried to change things. I might have went to, uh, I don't know, uh, a, a code academy um, and learned how to get some technical aspects of life and uh, while trying to get the business side of things. Um, I want, might have went to a vocational school. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. Obviously, I'm, I'm in where I'm at right now for a reason. But I do think that as people think about what they want to do in life, college doesn't have to be the end-all be-all to get there. I know that, of course, if you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, yes, those are the traditional and probably only paths in order to get there for good reasons. I don't want my doctor to have gone to, like, beauty school. You know, like, I get it. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> That's what I'm saying is if you are purely passionate about something, work backwards from that and understand that there are just different ways to get there. So I, I guess that's, that's my like last bit of wisdom there is whoever you are, whoever you want to be, there's not just one way to get there. So don't let people silo you into thinking that college is the only way to get there. Although yes, college is a great time. Absolutely recommend it if you have the means and, and you should definitely consider it. Um, but it doesn't have to be the only reason that you choose that path. You and I are definitely prime examples of that. We both ended up in a career path of sales, but our life trajectory was similar in some ways, but also super different, like how we got to where we were. Um, regardless of the college we went to. Um, I, I wish I didn't go to a private school. I spent way too much money there and came out with something I didn't even want, <laughs> which was a finance <laughs> degree. But yeah, I think we're prime examples of it. And I, it looks like the generation is slowly starting to realize that. You see people kind of, you know, leveraging the internet to go through like coding boot camps. Now you have like influencer groups, you have like coaching sessions. There's, there's so many different pathways, which is amazing for the next generation. Um, and I guess even for myself, I'm always trying to experiment, like what other things can I be doing? Like we kind of talked about earlier, this is the time to kind of relearn what's most important to us. And to kind of, uh, I guess, end everything here, 
Um, I, I asked Justin and James the same question, but what's one question that you have for me, Miles, that, <laughs> that you're curious about? Um, so you can't say your parents. You can't say, I mean, you could say other people in your family. It's like, that's fine. But you just can't say your parents because you kind of already said that. But I'm curious, a mentor that you have had in your life or a positive influence. It doesn't have to be a mentor, but ideally if you could think about one person that really helped shape you as a, an individual, who is that person? Hmm. Can I name two people? Sure, absolutely. Okay. So one, it has to be my professor from college, Sean O'Keefe. Um, I feel like this is the only class that was worth my tuition and it wasn't learning anything academically. It helped me in my career and professional life. Basically, he taught this whole idea of informational interviews. You never want to just apply blindly online through a website because you're going to get screened by a robot. What you want to do is you want to leverage your network and you can set up things called informational sessions. So an example was back in college, I thought I wanted to be a private wealth manager at Morgan Stanley. And at my school, Morgan Stanley wasn't recruiting out of Santa Clara University. There was no like open internships I can find. So what I did was in sophomore year of college, I ended up just going on LinkedIn, searched up every Santa Clara along my can around the San Francisco Bay Area that was like director of VP status. And I just shot them a LinkedIn message I'm just like this random kid is from Santa Clara University. And one lady decided to, you know, respond back very nicely. She was in Palo Alto. She was like a VP there. And we met up for coffee. And the whole idea of an informational interview is you're just trying to learn more about that position, that company. It's all about the other person that you're talking with. And at the very end of it, that's where you kind of slip your five minute elevator pitch. Like, Bob, you know, thanks again for like sitting down with me. It was so inspirational to hear more about your occupation. I think this could be something that I really love to get myself into. You know, funny enough, I'm actually looking for job experience in this role. Love to see if there's any openings that you guys might be able to do that I can kind of align with my expectations and my skill set. And actually got a job at Morgan Stanley. There was no res there was no like application process. There was no like job posting. It's like you can kind of create your own destiny, kind of like what you alluded to, but it was this whole idea of like just putting yourself out there. And this has helped me basically get a lot of any other, any other job I've gotten so far um, since college. So I really attribute my career and professional success. And even it relates back to my personal aspects to this professor. Um, and then the second person is, I would say my cousins, my family is very, very close to me and specifically a lot of my cousins. And I think in the recent years, uh, there's one cousin named Sean Yang. Um, he had a very interesting background and hopefully I'll have him on the podcast soon, but he started off as like a, a chase teller. He then went to go pack boxes at this e-commerce company. He then ended up starting his own Amazon like towel business and that kicked off. And then he ended up pivoting into being like a firefighter. But I guess just seeing the way that he grew as an individual and just how I got to know him more in the last few years, he just had so much knowledge to him like if you just looked on at face value, you'd be like, oh, there's not really much I can learn from this person. But in retrospect, he was very, very smart in ways that I never even thought about. Um, and I feel like there's not just like one thing I can pick up from him, but I feel like his, his mentorship and just his perspective on life, it plays such a huge influence on me as a person. Um, so I'd say like he's also someone else that I, I really respect, um, but I can't give like a definitive, like he taught me one thing. So yeah, that's what I love I that. To you, Miles. <laughs> what was that? What was your professor's name? Sean O'Keefe. So you just need to surround yourself with more Sean's, bro. It sounds like because <laughs> there's a pattern here. Clearly, I was like Sean O'Keefe and Sean Yang. Like you, you got you just gotta surround yourself with all the Sean's. <laughs> I mean, you could get another dog, or you could do a name change, Miles. You can change yourself to Sean, and boom, <laughs> got another one to add to the list. Sean Chong sounds too much like. Sean John. So uh, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But Miles, man, I really appreciate this conversation. Uh, like I said, this definitely did not go like as I expected. I felt very vulnerable throughout moments of this podcast where I was like, shit, like, what do I say next? I lost my train of thought. Um, but once again, Miles, I really appreciate this conversation. Thanks for being on here. 
hopefully there can be a part two. I want to maybe do that for some of the people that I've been speaking with, but uh, we'll see. I'm game. Yeah, you, you call. I answer. I really appreciate you <laughs> for having me today, Ryan. I, I really did enjoy the conversation as well. Awesome, Miles. Thanks again for everything.